This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hi, I'm Derek, and when I'm not working on the hook for Joe's mom's next greatest rap album, I'm stacking Benjamins, baby. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I know what you're thinking. This podcast announcer guy is a baller. <laughs> I don't want to brag, but next time we're together, let's just say one of us will be springing for the small fries at McDonald's. You're welcome. Hey, here's something else you're going to thank me for. Today, we welcome a guy who paid down a ton of student loan debt and now is teaching you how to pay down yours. He's the author behind the popular blog, Young Adult Money, David Carlson. Plus, in our headline segment, a fintech company is rolling out fee-free exchange-traded funds. Time to jump in? All that, plus your letters, a call to Haven Lifeline, and of course, my incredible trivia. And now, two guys who we call the small fries on this podcast, you know, compared to me, it's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-J-G. He is rather large. Say joke's on Doug. As small fries are now last year's large size fries. You know, they just keep on getting bigger and bigger and called smaller and smaller. Isn't that incredible? I was just comparing some cereal bowls that we got from Cheryl's grandmother Mm -hmm. to cereal bowls that we had just recently purchased. The ones from Cheryl's grandmother that she used growing up are... Hold like an ounce of cereal? They are just tiny. And mine holds half the box. Obviously. It just is... Hey, easy. I'm sitting right here, man. It's, It's so you can put all your salad in there. That's exactly why. Hey, everybody, welcome to uh, Bundles of Cereal podcast. I'm Joe Salci. I average Joe Money on Twitter and across the card table from me for another hump day. It is Mr. Other Guy, or as we call him, lovingly, OG. It is I. You're fearless. Well, I wouldn't say leader. What, what, what am I? Um, fearless follower. Definitely not that. <laughs> not a follower. Fearless. If you're not the, if you're not the lead dog, the scenery never changes. I love those no fear shirts from like high school. Yes. You know. Yeah, but I don't Second remember that. Second place is first loser. Yeah, well, I remember that from Talladega Nights. But but that's fun. You know what we do with all those loser molecules that are in the air? Zap them. We zap them. Thanks to Molecule for supporting Stacky Benjamins. Molecule is the world's first molecular air purifier that reduces symptoms for allergy and asthma sufferers. For $75 off your first order, visit M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com. See what they did there? And enter the promo code SB. We'll talk about Molecule 
a little later in the show. Also, thanks to Skillshare for supporting Stacking Benjamins. I am so into these graphic design classes, OG, that I'm taking on Skillshare. And if you saw our uh, Seattle meetup Instagram post or our post before that for both Seattle and for San Francisco, it's like you can see the learning that I'm doing. It's amazing. You can join the millions of students that includes me already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for stackers. Get two months of Skillshare for free. That's right. Skillshare's offering Stacky Benjamin's listeners two months unlimited access to over 25,000 classes for free. Gary Vanderchuk, Simon Sinek, and me. That's powerhouse stuff. Speaking of powerhouse, OG, We've got David Carlson coming down to the basement. You know, I was looking at uh, some stats about Gen Z and about how only 30% of them think that they've got a prayer paying off their student loans. And that is just 30% of people feel confident in Gen Z about paying off their student loans. Ugly. But David is going to make that all better for us. Of course, he's the brains behind young adult money, but also is a guy who paid off Fairly quickly, lots of money in student loans. Going to show us how to do that today. Got a great show, so let's get this party started. Hello, darlings. And now, it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamins headlines. Our first headline comes to us from Business Insider. The first no-fee ETF just got announced, and it could signal an industry-wide rush. This is written by Megan Morris. I love, by the way, I've read 57 articles that's a euphemism. I probably read four uh, on this on this topic. Every single one emphasizes a different point of this. This happened just a couple weeks ago. The race to the bottom for a no-fee exchange-traded fund is over, and the winners affirm no experts have publicly predicted. SoftBank-backed Social Financial, a.k.a. SoFi, filed on Monday to launch four ETFs, two of which have no management fees for at least the first year before the fee could increase. The other two ETFs do not yet have management fees listed. The ETF-specific launch date has not yet been determined. ETF managers have been decreasing fees for years to appeal to investors who have been abandoning higher-cost mutual funds for the more tax-efficient and lower-fee products. In 2017, Columbia Threadneedle launched an ETF with no fee for three months, And in August, after years of declining fees in the asset management industry, Fidelity became the first company to offer no-fee mutual funds. That suite of products brought in $2.9 billion last year, Fidelity said in its annual report last week. By the way, I have to say something there. I saw a report also last week that showed that while a ton of money went into those Fidelity funds, that has really, OG, reduced to a trickle lately. It was a ton of money at first. Sure. And money is not going in there at the speed that Fidelity had hoped lately. Hmm. Wonder why that is. We we can maybe discuss that. Let me let me let me continue with this first. In late December, new Canadian ETF provider Accelerate Financial Technologies filed for a suite of ETFs that would not charge a management fee, but only earn a fee if they outperformed a certain level. That's interesting. SoFi's two no-fee funds, by contrast, are set up without a management fee until at least March 27th of 2020. The fintech company could then keep the fees at zero or increase them to 0.19, which means that if an investor put in $10,000, he or she pay $42 in fees over three years. It's unclear if SoFi, which raised a billion dollars in Series E financing led by SoftBank in 2015, is putting any seed capital into the fund. 
Uh, some asset management industry sources dismiss SoFi's move as a publicity stunt as the firm looks to promote other products. SoFi recently launched an investment product called SoFi Invest to offer active and automated investing options. It's set up with new beginner investors in mind. The two free ETFs offer broad U.S. market exposure, a third invest in 50 growth companies, and the fourth invest in gig economy companies. Quote, all information we're able to share is in the filing, a SoFi spokeswoman said. We look forward to sharing more about this in the future. And then Todd Rosenbluth, uh, the head of ETF and mutual fund research at CFRA, wrote, uh, SoFi is definitely late to the arrival in the ETF market, which is now 26 years old and needs to make a splash to garner interest. Do you think that's the case? Just trying to make a splash? No, I don't. I think it has everything to do with just uh, trying to get more people into their fold for their products that they really are good at, which is lending money at really, really attractive rates to really high qualified individuals. But you look at the other things they're doing. They have a robo now. They also have a high interest savings account. Like it seems like they're more than just a lender now. They're really trying to get you into this whole ecosystem of stuff they offer, much like a much smaller level fidelity. Yeah, they'd like to. But I mean, if you look at the success of all those things, it's really not particularly strong. Now, when we look at things like, oh, well, they got a billion dollars of this or a billion dollars. of that, I mean, that's a whole bunch of money. But in the grand scheme of things, it's really not quite a lot at all. The thing that I found really interesting about this and the reason that I... Uh, You're talking about, by the way, not to cut you off, but but compared to big banks, it's not a lot of money at all. Yeah. No, I mean, it's a lot for... I mean, not a lot for you. <laughs> exactly. Right. I'll spring for the, for the rest of us, you know, a few billion here and there is not too shabby, but for the uh, podcast extraordinaire across the table from me, you know, it's a rounding error. I'll spring point. for the medium fries at McDonald's. You do, apparently. Um, again, again. The thing that I find really interesting about this is, and, and, and I think this is the lesson here, is that you have to be really careful with jumping on the bandwagon because if you are at all thinking about investing your money at SoFi, you could be very confused by the fact that it's their SoFi 500 ETF. You go, okay, that's got to be an S&P 500 fund, right? Well, kind of. So normally the S&P 500 or S&P 500 index funds are weighted by market cap, right? So you're going to get the performance of the S&P. It says here that SoFi will wait using a proprietary mix of market cap and fundamental factors. So we look at something like an S&P 500 index fund, and we think this is going to be just like the S&P. But you have to read into the details of it to say, okay, it's, this one isn't going to behave the same way as, as the S&P would. You know, this is not necessarily exactly the same as a market index fund which is just calling it an active fund in a different name. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is just, well, this is our proprietary weighting using a company sponsored mix of fundamental fact. So it's basically some person somewhere going, yeah, I think this is going to do better. And it kind of defeats the whole purpose of having a passive thing. And I think this is the, this is the big distinction that is getting blurred right now, both on the behavior side of investors, but also, you know, in the product side, which is, People equate low-cost products to passive products. And while there's a correlation between high fee and performance, right, an inverse correlation, I guess you should say, that the higher the cost of the thing, the more likely it is to not do well. 
all of the research around passive versus active centers around the behavior of the investments inside of the fund, not so much the cost of it. And we talked several weeks ago about the importance of being mindful of it, but not at the detriment of of the actual investment itself or your own personal behavior. You know, 0.1 and 0.04, big whoop, that's the same number, just about. Now, 1.6 and 0.1, those are completely different numbers, and I, I, I agree with that. But the whole idea of investment behavior is to be passive with your investment choices. And when you start introducing, either at a fund level, which is what SoFi is doing, someone's personal opinion about how things are going to go or, well, my computer suggested this or I have this formula that does that. You just took something that could be a passive thing and you made it an active thing, but it's free. So you look at it and go, well, but this is awesome. It's a free thing. Well, no, it's not the same thing. It's not a, it's not a passive product. Or when people look at their personal investments and they say, I am 100% passive. And I talk to people, five or six new families every single week. And, and I'll say, when was the last time you radically changed your allocation? Oh, in December. Well, then you're not passive. You, you took a low-cost product and turned it into an active strategy. You know, well, small cap wasn't doing good, so I got out of that. Huh? You just made it cheaper to screw up. That's all. It, it was not any, any better or worse. It's just less expensive now to do that. But you're saying these might not even be passive at all. I don't see how they could be when you say, you know, it, it says here, I'm, I was looking at a different article, but, but it says the SoFi 500 ETF and the SoFi Next 500 ETF will be weighted using a proprietary mix of market cap and fundamental factors. Yeah. That to me sounds like somebody plugged something into a computer. SoFi provided support in developing the methodology by, used by the index to determine the securities included. Well, if I was creating an index fund, what kind of support do I need to figure out what securities go in there? No, there's an, is there not already a pre-described list somewhere? No, I saw another piece that was talking about an algorithm that they're using to, yeah. to create the portfolio, which means it's an active strategy. Of course it is. And so we are blurring the lines of what we know from research and science that produces superior returns, which is the active versus passive debate, and combining it with or blurring it with, but this is free. I don't care if it's active, but it's free. You know, this is low cost, so it's awesome. It's like, well, not really. This is, those are two different things. Cost and strategy are different things, and we have to be aware of that well, as investors. And speaking of strategy, OG, I mean, think about this. When we put together our game plans, if you start really where you should start with investing, you start with what? You start with your goal, and then you work backward toward investments that meet that goal. Now, a passive index, even if it doesn't have a track record, if it's a brand new index, we can follow, historically, we can backtest that index to see what it's going to do. But if this is a new algorithm with, with a new strategy, I really don't have any idea what it's going to do. I mean, I might have kind of an idea of, of what it would have done, but I haven't seen any performance. With an active strategy, I have to see some performance to see the behavior of the past, which, by the way, doesn't exactly equate to what it would be in the future, but you know what I mean. Well, that's true also with the algorithm. Here's the deal. If you are a computer scientist and you're going to create an algorithm for a mutual fund company, do you create one that has done really badly in the past or one that's done really well in the, over the last you know 30 years? Sure. Well, of course, you go, well, if we would have done this 30 years ago, we'd all be billionaires. But still, but my point is, is that I just don't know with an active strategy how it's going to do. And, I, and even though I have that 
back testing. I don't have the actual numbers and I'm not sure how, I'm not sure how, how I feel about investing in something just because it's free when I'm not sure if it's going to meet my goal or not. That's my point is that I think everybody who looks at this goes free index fund. I'm in. Not the case. It's not the case. It's a whole different thing. Plus it's a giant bait and switch. Yeah, we'll be free for a while for a year. Maybe. I mean, if this is not the definition of loss leader, I don't know what is. Sure. I mean, hey, so great news. We're going to launch an ETF. We're going to, you and I, we're going to launch one. It's called the Joe and OG, and it's free. We could just call it the Jog instead of the Joe and OG <laughs> or the Jug, but, depending on how you want to spell it. But just to be clear. And we're not going to charge anybody anything. Ever. I'm not, I'm not. No, sh- no, not ever. We're going to charge anything for a little while, and then we're going to charge people 20 basis points because that's a lot of inertia. Like once you get all your money here, eh, I'm pretty sure you're not going to leave. And if you do, so be it. But, but by most, then I'll have but most people $2 billion. Won't. Yeah, most people won't leave. At 20 basis points. So, you know, you know, I make a few bucks, $40, $4 million a year. Not too shabby. I don't know where you come down on this though. My, I mean, my thought process isn't that this is bad. My thought process is I don't know. There's too much stuff I don't know. And do I take my harder money and put it into something that I don't know? Mm -hmm. I think this is nothing more than SoFi trying to get another line in the ocean of people's money. They are very good at the thing that they're very good at. And I wouldn't touch it with a 10 of a pole. It will be closed in three years, guaranteed. I don't know, man. They're investing. They're investing. They're investing lots of money in these different places. And they've already shown that they're to make any money. That's the point. They won't make any money on this, but they certainly will gain a ton of market share. That's going to be a really fantastic uh, email that you get as a SoFi investor. Like, hey, by the way, since you have 100000 in our free product, why don't you take that money out and leverage it and uh, get a loan, which is where they're going to go with it. Or how come you don't have a high interest savings account? Which I can get at 400000 other places. No market advantage there. There's no market advantage, but it's another thing in the ecosystem. Why move Why move the money over to X place when I could leave it there? Why go to magnify money when I know that SoFi is going to be in the ballpark and I've already got my money at SoFi? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Three years. Write it down. <laughs> Closed. We, we shall see. I don't think so. I'm, I'm going to come down on the other side of the argument. I, I don't think so. I just... I just don't know that I would be throwing money into a product that I'm not, sh- I'm not really sure about. Our next headline comes to us from MarketWatch. Wanted to get your take on this one. When investors make mistakes, and they always do, this manager pounces and profits. You know there's a lot of people in our audience, OG, that think about this strategy. I often think about this strategy when I hear things like, you know, like Kraft. Kraft Heinz just stepping in it. And, mm-hmm. and thinking, in fact, we were doing they a... smush the tomato all over the place. <laughs> we were doing a money in the morning and covering the Kraft Heinz thing. And we had people in our in our live Facebook group watching us going, well, this must... Kraft Heinz isn't going anywhere. It's a buy. And then somebody else said, really? Because, you know, studies show that people are moving more toward fresh vegetables and fresh stuff instead of all the canned goods that they offer. But then again, who knows? So, mm-hmm. but you know... My point was people like the person in the Facebook group that day thinking, wow, this is down. This can't stay down forever. This is a mutual fund, by the way, that builds on Richard Thaler's Nobel Prize winning research. Investors expect active money managers to outperform benchmark indexes. Many strategies can succeed in the long term, but it can be difficult for the average investor to wait patiently. Rafe 
Giovanazzo, the manager of the Fuller and Thaler Behavioral Small Cap Equity Fund, ticker symbol FTHFX, described how he's made use of the research and theories of behavioral economist Richard Thaler to gain an edge on stock selection and timing by taking advantage of mistakes by investors, money managers, and analysts. Thaler, professor at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business, was awarded the Nobel Memorial Prize in Economic Sciences in 2017 for his work in behavioral economics. Thaler's described that branch as, quote, economics about humans who don't fit neatly into behavior patterns assumed in traditional economic theory. Giovanazzo said his investment decisions revolve around how people behave as opposed to how they should behave. Fuller and Thaler Asset Management, founded in 1993 by Thaler and Russell Fuller. Daniel Kuhneman, Professor Emeritus of Psychology and Public Affairs at the Woodrow Wilson School at Princeton University, serves as an advisor to the firm. Kahneman was awarded the 2002 Nobel Memorial Prize in Economic Sciences for his work on psychological and experimental economics. Kuhneman was Giovanazzo's undergraduate advisor at Princeton, and Thaler was his doctoral advisor at the University of Chicago Booth School of Business. Fuller and Thaler Asset Management is based in San Mateo, California, and has $9.6 billion in assets under management, private accounts, and mutual funds. In an interview, Giovanazzo said, Everything we do is based on behavioral finance, the study of investor mistakes. Those mistakes can be summarized as overreactions and underreactions. We try to buy when we think people are likely to overreact to bad news or underreact to good news. So Giovanazzo's strategy combines value opportunities from overreactions to bad news with growth opportunities from underreactions to good news. Quote, People tend to overreact to a first impression, then they underreact to further impressions, Giovanazzo said. If a company's turned a corner and becomes significantly more profitable, for example, analysts' natural human behavior biases may lead them to increase earnings estimates more slowly than they should. It goes on, goes on from there. I wanted to ask you about this. So this guy not only runs the fund, but he has two Nobel Prize-winning behavioral science researchers as his advisors. This idea of capitalizing on other people's mistakes, what do you think? I think it's kind of comical that he basically created a career on Warren Buffett's be greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy <laughs> comment. And they're like good I, at it. it. Created a, uh, you know, a $10 billion mutual fund and, and uh, obviously an article in Market Watch all about it. I'm looking I mean, at the I'm looking at the returns. It's a five star fund. Uh, they rate the fees as low when compared to other funds. I think you know the people that like free stuff are not going to like the fee on this fund. But this historical outperformance with a guy that has a lot of research on his on his side. Yeah, more than you or you or I could ever have. Yeah, agreed. And I think that's a I think that's a great point, don't you? That you've got people wondering whether Kraft Heinz they should be buying right now. This guy's got reams of data and the people that won the Nobel and, Prize behind and people him. reviewing it. Yeah. Right? And, mm -hmm. and, and Joe Sixpack working on, on, on the line somewhere like you and I do working on the podcast line, just go. I, I, I read on seeking alpha that <laughs> right. dot, dot, dot. Right. I think, mm -hmm. I, I think it's things a buy just, why do you think so? Well, my gut, I buy ketchup. I need ketchup. <laughs> ketchup for my dogs. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. You are going to get smoked. But the, the other side of this too, of course, is, is that 
as interesting of a opinion that this person has about how he runs his fund and recently has done pretty well with it, I can guarantee that uh, David Einhorn has as serious a conviction about his strategy, you know, over the past uh, 10 years as well. And last year he was down 35%. Oh, when you go into active management, that's going to happen. That's the risk that you got to. And that's true. I think when you're, if you're doing this on your own too, from a trading standpoint, you know, if you're going to be an, uh, a stock picker, you're going to be wrong and sometimes violently wrong. You look at Bill Ackerman, who's been, who's been violently wrong a lot. This Mm -hmm. last year is knocking the cover off the ball. The problem is predicting when these active managers are going to do that. But I think somebody, you know, and, and not to get into this too much, but somebody with these Nobel Prize research level people behind them. I mean, you look at the dimensional funds as an example, passive but tweaked strategies right. um, based on Nobel Prize winning research. I bet, I would bet that this is this is also a very passive strategy. I'm looking at turnover. And a lot of people don't know what turnover is, but the turnover is only 36% in this this fund. Now, a lot of people go, turnover, 36%. That means they're selling a third of their stuff. You look at most active managers, that's a pretty, pretty low number. So this is actually a pretty passive strategy, I'll bet, OG, with a twist, much like they do at a dimensional. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very similar similar type of idea. And going back to the point of it's very difficult to compete in this place. You can have all the greatest information in the world, but it's still just you, you know, or it's you and your golf buddies. And these guys manage $9 billion, $10 billion, and have a budget of 30 million. Like that's their annual budget. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it yeah, competing on that. It's ridiculous. Like, how are you going to, they have buildings full of people that Gen- are general this stuff up. electric back when they were rocking. You remember those days when General Electric rocked? Well, they're rocking recently. But it's about time. They've got a little bit of ground to make up. But General Electric under Jack Welch, remember? Jack Welch changed the mantra at General Electric to, we're only going to compete if we're number one or number two. Mm -hmm. Where do you sit in terms of of being able to compete with these active money managers? If you're going to play the capitalize on somebody else's mistake game. It also goes to the same thing we were talking about just a few seconds ago with the SoFi deal. Just because you have a low-cost product, if you are somehow trying to actively trade that strategy, you just have a cheap active strategy. You know, If you're looking at your investment accounts in December going, I should probably get some more real estate. It's up a whole bunch, so I should do that. Or I should get rid of this emerging market fund. It's not doing very good. I'll get this other emerging market fund that did a little bit better than mine. All you're doing is you're creating an active an, an active strategy with low-cost tools. And that's no different than trying to compete with these guys or anybody else, too. It's well, just, think about when you make those moves, when you say, well, this is up X, this is down, I'm going to move over to this. What real data are you basing that decision on? Because you know that when these managers are talking about making a move from A to B, even the mediocre ones that we sit around as, you know, Average investors and go, well, this active manager, you know how many, you know how much data these managers are using to barely underperform the S&P to get beat by the S&P. Yeah. And you're going, well, I think real estate's doing good. So I should get into that. The whole, I remember rolling my eyes when a 
client of mine would come in and say, how come we're not doing X? Cause it's quote doing good. Mm-hmm. I would go, Oh man. And then I wanted to press the tape recorder and go, we don't get into it because it's quote doing good. So maybe that's the yeah. lesson. Maybe that's, that's, that's today's lesson. Get into it. If it's doing bad, get into it. If it's doing good, get into it. Get into it. If it's doing mediocre, uh, middle of the road. Yep. <laughs> Maybe that's maybe that's not the takeaway. Well, we'll have the takeaway in a second. But uh, how about this for a transition? If you don't want to do mediocre, you don't want to do mediocre, you don't want to be mediocre, you be doing mediocre, not be doing, try Skillshare. Stacky Benjamin's brought to you by Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community for creators like me. More than 25,000 classes in design, which is what I'm taking right now taking a graphic design class taught by the way, by people from the Smithsonian. How incredible is that? What's funny is I'm learning about how to line up text. I'm also learning about framing. I'm learning about taking text and bleeding it off the frame. I'm learning about how you make these decisions as a graphic designer and kind of get grounded. Like I know what I'd like when it comes to graphic design, but I don't know why. And if I'm going to keep creating more and more graphics, it seems like over time, or at least have to approve graphics. I got to kind of know what I'm doing. And maybe you need that in your business also, because they don't just have classes in design. They have business, financial planning, and more. You're going to discover countless ways to fuel your curiosity, creativity, and career. Take classes in social media marketing, mobile photography. My DSLR class was amazing. Creative writing or even illustration. Whether you're looking to discover new passions, start a side hustle, or gain new professional skills, Skillshare is there to keep you learning and thriving. And if we want to keep not just this podcast going, but what are they, what's that, uh, what's that phrase? If you're not growing, you're dying, right? Got to keep growing. Got to keep pushing for new stuff. And I love the fact that I can take these classes. I can take my time if I need to. I can binge classes if I want to. It's all just there in one place and I get to create my own curriculum so when the show gets busy or we go on the road, don't have to worry about missing a class. It's there for me when I get back. Join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for the stackers. Two months of Skillshare for free. That's right. Skillshare offering Stacky Benjamin's listeners two months of unlimited access to over 25,000 classes for free. You sign up, go to Skillshare.com forward slash SB. Again, Skillshare.com slash SB to start your two months now. Skillshare.com slash SB. My two months ended uh, at the end of February, OG, and I'm still doing it. Not only am I still doing it, I'm accelerating. I notice it as I get very comfortable taking Skillshare classes, I find myself taking more. So two months are free, Skillshare, Skillshare.com slash SB. I think our lessons today, number one, don't play that game unless you've got the budget to compete. And then uh, number two is investing in something because it's free. Maybe you should invest in it because it helps you meet your goal. That might be a better idea. Coming down to the basement, OG, he's the man behind Young Adult Money, one of my favorite blogs out there for personal finance. David covers everything there. He's a man who wrote a book, Hustle Away Debt. We talked to him when that book came out. He, of course, got lots of acclaim 
for that book. And now he's back to talk about student loans. His new book, Student Loan Solution, is his five-step guide to paying down student loans. And he's here to talk about income-based repayment versus the regular way people pay off their student loans. And even if you're not looking at student loans, I love this process just for your overall financial plan. Let's say hello. David Carlson coming down to the basement. And walking down the stairs to the basement back for a second time around. It's Mr. David Carlson. How are you, man? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Excited well, to be here. Well, I'm so happy you're here, even though uh, it could be warmer for both of us, you in Minnesota, me in Detroit. What the heck? Yeah, it's been a absolutely brutal winter. We can barely see over the snowbanks here in Minnesota. <laughs> it's, it's, well, and that's why you keep your brain focused on getting out of debt, right? Just get the student loans taken care of. You'll forget about how your toes are freezing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, can't hurt. Right. Why you, by the way, and student loans? Why this book for you right now, David? Yeah, so the reason why I decided to write a book on student loans right now across America, as most people know, I mean, everyone's heard the stats. We have over 40 million people in student loan debt, 1.5 trillion of student loans outstanding. And one thing other people don't typically think about unless you're in that situation is that there's about 8 million people in default right now and about a million new borrowers going into default each year. So, I mean, writing a book obviously takes a ton of time and energy. And if I was going to write one, I want to write one about something that was truly a problem, something that I could hopefully provide somewhat of a solution for or be part of the solution. Well, you must get the question all the time about what to do with my student loans at Young Adult Money as well, I would think. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole variety of people too who have you know private student loans, federal student loans. Some people haven't made payments for a few years. They are in default or they're fresh out of college and they're just trying to make the best decision. So student loans just keeps coming up over and over and it's a hot topic right now. Well, and it's also a little personal for you too. You've, you've battled student loans. Yeah. So my first book, Hustle Way Debt, was really kind of inspired by my wife and my $100,000 in undergrad student loans that we incurred and just facing, you know, about $1,000 a month in student loan payments. And that's the minimum on the standard 10-year plan. So it's really been a big part of our life, our relationship. We met in college. We got married right after college. So we're kind of facing it at the same time and trying to tackle it together. Also, my wife's a therapist and anybody who's listening who's a therapist or knows someone who is in that field knows that you typically have to get your master's to actually practice in that field. So, I mean, we already had that $100,000 of debts, but we were also facing the fact that she was for sure going to go to grad school. I had plans of potentially getting my MBA. I ended up not doing that, but even just getting one master's degree today is pretty expensive. You should have told her to become a podcaster instead, because that's where the big money is. (laughs) <laughs> well, you know all about that, don't you? Yeah. yeah, we are. That's why we're in mom's basement right now, dude. It's because it's, <laughs> it's where the big money is. We get a question all the time. And I sent this to you before you came to join us. 
should I do income-based repayment or just pay these things off? And I'd love, because your book is a five-step guide to answering all questions, student loans, if you wouldn't mind using these five steps that you have in the book to kind of walk through that question, because it comes up a lot. Also, I think it's going to show people that don't have student loans that this idea of a planning process that we talk about all the time on, on the show it transcends student loans and it's something we should all be thinking about, not just this specific question, but there's like a method to the madness. Do you mind doing it that way with me? Yeah, that sounds great. Well, no, let's start off then. So, (laughs) so your first, your first step then is to know your loans. Is every loan eligible for income-based repayment? Yeah. I mean, that's obviously the first step to take. And one thing that has been a bit, I guess, alarming, especially as I was researching this book and putting it together. And I'm guilty of this as well, is the fact that there's a lot of bloggers out there who are pushing student loan refinancing without necessarily, you know, giving the proper warning message that, hey, if you have private student loans, there's a bunch of things that you're going to lose that federal loans had. So that's why it's important to know what loans you have, because they're not all the same. So whether or not you have federal or private student loans is really important. Private student loans are not eligible for income-driven repayment plans, especially the ones that we'll end up talking about on this show. Honestly, if you have those, you will eventually have to pay them down. There's no forgiveness opportunities. It's very difficult to discharge in bankruptcy. So the first step here is to really understand what loans you have, what the interest rate is, whether they're eligible for income-driven repayment or not and all of that. This sounds like a spreadsheet in the making. (laughs) I do have a student loan spreadsheet that goes with the book. It's actually already available to anybody on youngadultmoney.com. And I added quite a few features just to kind of align to the book. But yeah, I mean, if you want to find your loans, there is a tab within that spreadsheet that tells you where to go to find your federal loans, which is the National Student Loan Database website nslds.ed.gov. Again, we're going to go over a lot, so you might remember that. But if you go to youngadultmoney.com, it's one of the first options on the menu bar to download there. And we will then, oh, go ahead. Well, well, I was just going to say, we'll also, for people listening, we'll, we'll link to everything that David's talking about in our show notes page at Stacking Benjamins. So you can go right from here to Young Adult Money and also links to the book as well. Great. Yeah. Because there's obviously a ton of links here. So if you have private loans, you either are going to know that you have private loans or you're going to want to pull your credit report where you're going to have all your loans, federal loans, private loans, not just student loans, obviously, but every loan that you have. So you're going to want to find your loan servicer there and uh, get access to their login and their dashboard and whatnot to pull your data. Gotcha. Then step two in the program is understand what your options are. So now if you have income-based repayment, I'm, I'm guessing when you say that there's a danger in refinancing student loans, and I have read, like you have just mentioned, I've read bloggers also talking about refinancing student loans that maybe shouldn't be refinanced. What are some of the mm-hmm. options that people lose that you were talking about if they refinance their loan to a consolidation loan? Yeah. So some of the things that you'll lose, and I should caveat this with the fact that private student loans, they're all different depending on who uh, the servicer is. So they might have 
some perks. I know that I won't mention any specific companies, but I know some have perks that other ones don't. Um, but you'll lose access to things like forbearance, which allows you to temporarily stop making payments on your loans. The same thing with deferment. So if you have unsubsidized federal loans while you're in school, you're actually incurring interest. And that's because you're automatically put into deferment. But there's opportunities to use that after graduation as well. As I mentioned, income-driven repayment plans, and we'll talk about that in a bit, but you lose access to the federal ones that are laid out, that are very structured, and you kind of know what you're going to get with them. They also come with some benefits. So if you move on to one of those plans and you're actually not paying down all of your principal and interest with your payments, that interest is actually going to build up over time. And there's some subsidies there where the government gives you a bone where you're not actually going to keep incurring all that interest and they're going to cover a portion of that. So that stuff's important, but even more important, I think, and this is especially true for anyone working for a nonprofit, a 501c3, or the government is student loan forgiveness. So everybody has access to that. But public service loan forgiveness, where you can actually get your loans forgiven tax-free after 120 on-time monthly payments, that's the big one that people will lose access to if they refinance. You go into student loan forgiveness a lot, and this is a whole, maybe it's in a whole nother time to have you back or, or something. I just want to step just briefly into student loan forgiveness. I have heard, and tell me if this is true, David, that you've got to dot all your I's, cross all your T's and make sure you do everything right because very few people end up getting forgiveness. Is that true? That is definitely true. And I, the recent report that only 3% of the people who applied the first time around or the first month actually got public service loan forgiveness. But some of those cases were people on the wrong plan, they had the wrong loans, kind of little things that if you, again, it does take time, but if you look into what you actually have to be doing to get that forgiveness, I think that that percentage of people actually getting a grant is going to come up over time. Because obviously if somebody has the wrong type of loans or they didn't consolidate into direct loan to have their loans be eligible, things like that, obviously it's not going to work out. But yes, you want to keep documentation of everything. You want to uh, have your employer certified every year. There's a whole process for that. You want to make sure you're on an income-driven repayment plan, which is eligible for public service loan forgiveness. All these things that you want to keep track of. Which is funny. I love how you answer it, and I don't want to. I don't want to let this sit. You answer it with you got to know what loans you have, which was step number one <laughs> that we just went over. Yeah, I mean, it all kind of ties together. You got to understand your loans and it all feeds into understanding your options. So in the book, I actually start talking about the options by addressing private student loan repayment. Again, because there's a lot of things like income-driven repayment that just aren't applicable if you have private student loans. It's not the end of the world if you do have them. It will just take more planning and I mean, honestly, you might want to work with a CFP or some sort of financial coach to lay it out if you're feeling overwhelmed. So that's kind of the first thing is you have your private loans, figure that out. And then the federal loans, there's a whole bunch of other options, such as the income-driven repayment plans. Well, and let's get into that then. So now that we've done step one and step two, your third step, 
is to understand your financial situation. And I'll bet this is the big piece. If you're eligible for income-driven repayment, knowing what your overall financial situation is probably going to be the key here, I would imagine. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's a step that most people miss. So again, going back to kind of other student loan content that's out there, there's a lot of people who write about student loans who kind of skip over the whole income-driven repayment plan and immediately say, well, if you can't afford your payment on a standard 10-year plan, then you need to make more money or cut your costs. Well, for some people, I mean, if you're making $40,000 a year and even if you're being super frugal and cutting costs wherever you can, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be able to afford the monthly payment on an 80000 100000 plus student loan debt. It's just not realistic if you run the numbers. So I think it's important to understand you know, your income expenses, really tracking that, not necessarily setting a budget, but just number one, knowing what your income is, knowing what your expenses are, how much cash flow do you have, what other debt do you have? Things like that. Yeah, that's all going to tie in. I mean, it's funny how people want to take one part of their life and not funny, haha, it's kind of scary. We all want to take our life and compartmentalize it. But really, what happens in one part of your life is going to spill over to your student loan strategy. Yeah, definitely. And that's, again, why I wrote this book and why I wanted to tie into, you know, the greater personal finance arena yeah. because. Again, you can't take student loans and just go through repayment options and then that's the end of it. You have to understand your own situation and how you're going to leverage that. So one thing I talk about in understanding your situation is, do you have an emergency fund? Because I feel like a lot of people with student loan debt feel tied to their job. They feel like they don't have a lot of options because they have this debt kind of you know, hanging over their head. But if you have, and not that this is going to be easy for anybody to do, but on an income-driven plan, it might be possible. If you build up three to six months of emergency savings or even more, you're going to feel a lot freer to you know, potentially leave your employer, to maybe take a risk or take an opportunity that otherwise you wouldn't be able to do. So I point that out. I think emergency fund for people with student loans is super important, and it really should take precedence over everything else. I love that advice because I think a lot of people feel trapped and you spend every dollar toward repaying your student loan. You continually are going to be trapped instead of building the emergency fund, having the flexibility to go take on the new, take on the new thing, which by the way, we went over just now then step four, which is now you have all the options to then choose your repayment strategy. You have one part in there though, that I want to ask you about, which is accountability. Stick to the plan. You talk about accountability. How do you make sure that you're able to stick to your plan once you start it? I point to in the book and I interviewed Shannon McLay of the financial gym because that's one option is to just find a professional who um, is going to hold you accountable and keep you on track. And that's worked really well for people. I mean, it's tough because I'm kind of in the camp where if I set a plan, I want to hold myself accountable, but a lot of people advise against it. And I know there's probably people listening or who would never necessarily reach out to professional and, have them hold them accountable. They'd want to just do it themselves. So it kind of depends on the person. You got to know yourself and your history. If you create that plan, are you actually going to stick to it? If you are making this plan with a partner, do you need to have a outside third party that will keep you accountable because it's easy 
especially when there's two people, for one person to kind of say, well, we can do this this one time, and then you kind of fall off your plan. So yeah, accountability is definitely important regardless of what you choose. And I think that, again, with student loans, it's it's important to stay with your plan. So we mentioned public service loan forgiveness. That one you really have to stay on top of to make sure that you're getting all the documentation, you're able to refute any error on the part of the loan servicer, which happens all the time. Let's say you're on an income-driven repayment plan. What you want to do if you're doing that is to build up an emergency savings and really kind of improve other areas of your finances versus, you know, hey, my payment's lower now and I can, you know, spend more money on things that aren't actually going to help me five, 10 years down the road. So I think, I mean, there's a lot of planning involved in this if you want to do it right and you want to kind of push yourself forward. And I think that people with student loans really do have to work harder than everyone else, especially if you have 50, 100K or more. Yeah. There's just such a divide between the people who graduate college with no loans or almost no loans and the people who have, you know, this huge amount hanging over their head, which is why I think this is coming up in kind of the policy arena as well. Because there is a divide and you do have to work harder if you want to, I guess you could say, catch up to those who didn't have to take out as many loans. Yeah, which is why your fifth step is optimizing your money. And you talk about hustling your way to a higher income, strategies and hacks to save money, student loans in your mental health, student loans in your relationships, which it affects it affects everything. You know, you talk about accountability. There may be a website out there that uh, might help you be accountable too. Like reading good stuff might be might be a way to be held accountable. I I say that jokingly, but what's what's coming up? Because you talk about everything at Young Adult Money. What, what do you got coming up for us there, David? We have a lot of student loan content right now, just because naturally that's what we're covering. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but I mean. Three years ago when I published Hustle Away Debt, I was all about side hustles because that's something that people can do to really improve their situation. They're not reliant on an employer granting them a raise or whatever their specific career is. So, I mean, we, we talk about making more money, saving more money, things like student loans, budgeting. We really kind of cover everything. Step five is really about optimizing your money. So, budgeting, increasing your income, finding ways to save money in your budget, all that stuff is really important. There's there's things you can do every day and every week and every month to slowly push yourself forward. And I think it really aligns the student loans well, because for most people, even if you're aggressively paying them down, it's still going to be a long haul before you actually get rid of them. I love how systemization is the answer. And for those of you, whether it's student loans or some other goal, just rewind back through David and I talking and look at those five areas. And I think you'll get just a ton out of today because having a process to get this done, I think is is definitely the key. The book is Student Loan Solution and it comes out next week. You can pre-order it now though, right, David? Yep. You can pre-order it. And depending when you listen, it's coming out March 15th. So more likely than not, you can order right now and it'll be sent to your house within a couple of days. How great is this, by the way? I'm, I'm sure you don't get tired of uh, seeing your name in print a second time. Yeah, I mean, for anybody that wants to write a book, I'd say get ready to learn a lot. I learned a lot with the first book and I think the second book, I'm really proud of how it turned out. And I think 
there's a ton of value there and we have a companion PDF that goes with it. We have a couple spreadsheets. There's just a lot of value here and that's what I wanted the book to be. And I think if people buy it, that's what they'll find. Well, congratulations on a job well done, my friend. And thanks for hanging out with us for a few minutes. Thanks for having me. Hey there, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And what a day. I just checked my calendar of crazy holidays. And first, it's National Good Samaritan Day. No need to thank me for telling you that. Just paying it forward. But it's also National Napping Day. I think I'll combine the two and go quick with today's trivia so you too can get to your nap. Here's the question. When you sign up for a savings account, they'll discuss the accounts APR and APY. What are those terms and how are they different? Seriously, I'm asking. Well, I'll be back with an answer as soon as I get my pillows ready for today's big nap. Yeah, this is different than any other day for me. Stacky Benjamin's brought to you by Molecule. You know, it's funny. You know, you like something, OG, when you start moving it around the house. We got game night tomorrow night and I'm moving the Molecule system downstairs to the basement. Basement smells good, but I got to tell you, we've had it in my bedroom and just the crispness and cleanness of the air since we put the Molecule system in there has been fantastic. Richie, our producer is coming and he's allergic to just about everything. So having uh, clean air there is uh, super important. So here's how Molecule works. Molecules introduced a breakthrough science that's finally capable of destroying air pollutants at a molecular level, replaces 50 years of antiquated technology, which is called the HEPA filter technology, been used to clean your air since the 1940s. And there have been any major innovations since. Well, Molecule has PICO technology. What's PICO? Photoelectrochemical oxidation goes beyond the HEPA filter system to both capture and eliminate allergens, mold, bacteria, viruses, and airborne chemicals. Big thing is going to do at our house. Richie's going to come here to work on projects this coming week, and his face isn't going to look like a pumpkin like it does right now. We, we video chat all the time. He's in Texarkana where things are blooming while I still have snow on the ground here, and his face looks like a pumpkin. And, you know, it's, if your face normally looks like a pumpkin, that's fine. But Richie's clearly poofy and having an allergic reaction. In fact, I told him, I told him this morning, he's got to go to the doctor. He, he has got to go to the doctor. Molecule makes a real difference for asthma and allergy sufferers, helping them better cope with their conditions and significantly reduce their symptoms. One customer reportedly said that after using Molecule in her home, she was able to, quote, breathe through her nose for the first time in 15 years. I think that would be good. I mean, what if you breathe through your nose the first time in 15 years and you didn't like it? Molecule's technology has been funded by the EPA, extensively tested by real people and verified by third parties in university laboratories like the University of South Florida Center for Biological Defense and the University of Minnesota Particle Calibration Laboratory. Molecule's easy to use. It's so easy to use. And as a clean and sleek design, I don't think, I don't think calling it clean and sleek design is... Uh, I think that undersells it. This is a cool piece of machinery. So from the materials used on the device, like its sleek solid aluminum shell to a filter subscription service where filters regularly arrive on your doorstep when you need them. For $75 off your first order, visit M-O-L-E-K. See what they did there? M-O-L-E-K. 
M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com and enter promo code SB. That's M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com, promo code SB. Hey there, trivia nerds. Guess who's back with your trivia answer? It's me. And here was the question again. When you sign up for a savings account, the bank or credit union representatives may talk about APR and APY. What are they and what's the difference between them? The answer, while most smart people like me might have thought that APR meant actual poetic retaliation, it turns out the answer is a lot easier than that, but not quite as poetic. APR is actually annual percentage rate, which is the interest you'll earn expressed as a percentage, duh, it's right there in the name, on the account over a year without the compounding interest. That's the important part, without compounding interest. But we all know that compounding interest is the equivalent of those badass lights you can put under your car. So to show that, some genius came up with APY, which is annual percentage yield, which shows you how much interest again, expressed as a percentage, you'll make over a year with compounding interest. Confused? Just remember that APY is what you'll really make over a year if you don't touch it, while APR is the amount you'll make on the amount without compounding, which is more useful if you're going to have transactions in and out of the account. Wow, (laughs) pretty brilliant, aren't I? At least I can read. Time for that well-deserved celebration of National Nap Day. Catch you again at the end of the show. See ya. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline, and we'll tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you, OG, what you value first. Oh, for me to value things? Um, Right now, I would definitely value being an NFL player. So if you're listening getting, or more specifically an NFL contract, <laughs> don't necessarily need to play football. You, you are very happy sitting on the sidelines. I can, I can be the third alternate place kick holder, wherever you've got a spot for me, coach. Yeah. Just don't put Water me in. Boy. Just don't put me in. Just I, don't, give need, me the I don't need to go in ever. I'm totally fine with riding in the back of the plane on game day. It's actually your loved ones in your time. You won't have as much time with your loved ones, but you'll certainly have more money for them. Uh, that's why they've made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. If you head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now, you'll get a free quote. If you use our link, by the way, that tells them that we sent you. And that obviously makes them go, wow, sponsoring the Haven Lifeline is a fantastic idea. Their application's simple online. You get an instant coverage decision. Their prices are affordable. What I like best is that it's super quick right now, and it's with a major insurer, Mass Mutual. Uh, it's been around more than 160 years. Today, we're throwing out the Haven Lifeline to our new friend, Matthew. Say hi, Matthew. Hey, Joe and OG. This is Matthew from Texas with a forward-looking tax question. My company is relocating me in May from Texas, which doesn't have a state income tax, to Louisiana, which does have one. Instead of maxing out my HSA, early in the year with my bonus, for example. I'm considering dropping my contributions to zero until after I move. I would also be reducing my 401k contributions to the minimum required to receive the full company's match. After the move, I would then re-increase my contributions to both during the first few months to essentially catch up on my savings 
and lower my taxable income earned in Louisiana during the year. Am I thinking about this correctly, or do you have any other recommendations for moving to a state with an income tax? Last, I should say that I do trust myself to actually re-increase my savings and to budget for the several months where I'll have a lower income due to the catch-up contributions. Thank you for all the help. Thanks, Matthew, for the question. Moving from a state with an income tax, OG. I love it. Do you have any questions about moving from a state with a <laughs> to a state that has income tax from one that doesn't? Yes, I have a strategy for that. Don't do it. <laughs> there it is. Thanks for the question, Matthew. <laughs> but, uh, I, don't know. I hope that you got a pay raise with your move because a significant one at that, not just moving costs, because obviously you know, having to all of a sudden pay state income taxes, even at a relatively low rate, you know, three, four, five percent is a serious amount of money. So, but maybe in uh, Louisiana, you won't have to pay all the tolls that we have to pay here in Texas. So maybe just balance out exactly right. I don't think it's a fair trade. What's that? The tolls or the taxes? The toll for the tax. I think the tax is going to come out as a winner, not in a good way. Yeah. I'm totally confused by everything you just said now, but uh, so they're winning, but losing. Yes, you're winning by losing. You're, yes, okay. You're, you're adding through subtraction. You ever hear that one? I got one? it. You're adding by subtracting. Got it. Yes. Yep. Multiply through simplicity or something. Yeah, yeah. multiply by dividing. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So uh, when you go to do your taxes, the tax program or your tax accountant will just assume that everything was prorated evenly throughout the year. The nice thing is that on your W-2 for the feds should probably just say the full amount like it normally would. And then you'll get a W-2 for the state of Louisiana that, uh, that will have just your earnings and deductions during that period of time. So I think this is a fine idea. The thing I would also add is make sure that you keep track of moving expenses and all that sort of stuff. I know there's some changes in the last year about what's deductible and what's not. So I can't remember if moving, moving expenses got hit by some of that, but make sure you keep track of all those things and all the ancillary things associated with moving. You make another, you know, two extra trips to find a place to live or something like that. Make sure you keep track of all those things. And, uh, and I do like the idea of being cognizant to the fact that, Hey, I'm going to have some earned income in another place for a while. So I may as well, double up on my contributions during that short period of time to uh, to take full advantage of that. So other than staying put in Texas, which is what I would strongly recommend, uh, the next best <laughs> thing is what you're doing. You know what I like? I like the fact that he's asking these questions ahead of time, because how often do you get people who are that forward thinking about the tax bill? Good, good job. One in eight years so far. Yes. Number one. Matthew, mom is very proud of you. So congratulations on that, too. Thanks for the question, Matthew. We also get letters down here in the basement and uh, Duncan writes to us says, Hey guys, I know the idea of getting a loan to put into the stock market's generally seen as a bad idea. (laughs) Generally. (laughs) That's that's an an understatement. I like the generally. Yes. Gambling with some interest. What would you think of the idea of getting a small loan to maximize my Roth IRA for the year? I'm 30. So I have many years of compounding left to maximize the risk and have a stable job. So I'm not in trouble of repaying the loan. Thanks for the advice. Duncan. OG. No way. I have, I have nothing else to say. It always, maybe I do. (laughs) It always works, Duncan, until it doesn't. And the bad yeah. news is, is that even though you have a sta- stable job, you go skiing on your kid's spring break and uh, wrap yourself around a tree, and there goes the stable job. 
Wow. That got ugly in a hurry, didn't it? Yeah, that was hopefully not very predictive. But but bad stuff happens when you don't expect it. Mm-hmm. And and if you don't have an emergency fund yet and you're asking about taking out a loan to put into your Roth IRA. Hey, here's an idea. If you have so much dang money every month that you can pay a loan back, call me crazy. Why don't you just save that? And there it is. Thanks. Thanks for the question, Duncan. If you've got a question for us, head to, and that was direct, head to stackybenjamins.com. And at the top of the page, you'll see the link where you can uh, interface with us. Of course, Matthew taking home the greatest money show on earth circus t-shirt. What a circus today was OG. How about that? Duncan wants to Invest loan out his stock Roth market. IRA. Yeah. SoFi offering free stuff that people are going to run into just because it's free. People trying to compete with professionals. While All they, sort of uh, ways to not stack <laughs> Benjamins today. <laughs> Lots of pitfalls. If you're tired of the pitfalls, how about that for a transition, OG? Probably the best one ever, frankly. Yes. Uh, OG and his uh, team are taking on new clients now. So head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash OG for your first step to getting your financial plan in order, your financial planning team in order. All right. That's going to do it for today. Take it from here, Doug. What should we have learned today? Well, Joe, they should have learned to take some advice from David Carlson. Use his five-step process to determine what loans you actually have what options are available, and then work through your budget to figure out your best options when paying off your debt. Second, if they're thinking about investing in a free investment plan, remember that free doesn't automatically equal good, sort of like those free oysters I had at the gas station. Instead, remember to start with your goal and work toward the best investment to reach it. If a free option exists, that's the best idea for your money, then Put your hard-earned dollars into that account. But the big lesson? Don't let Joe's mom see you celebrating National Nap Day. Apparently, she now thinks it's National Post-Nap Help with Dinner by Cutting Vegetables Day. I'm fairly certain that's not a thing. Is it? Special thanks to David Carlson for joining us. You can find his book, Student Loan Solution, by using our Amazon link, stackingbenjamins.com forward slash Amazon. You'll both help the show and you'll help yourself pay down your student loans faster. Hashtag winning. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm wondering if KY Jelly is actually made in Kentucky. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Special thanks to Joe's mom for bringing scented candles down to the basement. Nothing says podcasting with a bunch of dudes like scented candles.
I got a very simple after show. Such sweet pillow talk. While we were talking, an alert came up on my phone. And the only alerts, I have alerts turned off except for a couple things. One is weather. And it's amazing how many weather alerts I get now that I live in Michigan. The snow is going to start in 45 minutes. <laughs> I turn off all that crap. Oh, I love it. I leave that one on. But I did get something from my weather app that said, new podcast, the secret lives of whales are revealing discoveries that have huge implications for the future of our oceans in a warming world. Listen to the fascinating findings, and then I click, and I, I haven't clicked. But immediately, you know what that Deleted reminded it. Oh. me of? No. You know what that reminded me of? That reminded me of the Brian Regan piece on this. Have you heard the Brian Regan thing about the whales? I don't think so. I think this is, this is today's after show. Uh, it's about a minute long, so take it away, Brian. I saw this documentary recently on whales. <laughs> this guy has dedicated his life to telling you what the whales are saying. Wow. I don't know how you'd argue with him when he turns in his report. <laughs> and he just throws it down there. Well, here's what the whales are saying. Okay, thanks, Charlie. <laughs> He's looking back. Here's what the whales are saying. Yeah, Charlie figured it out. <laughs> they show how he does it. He's out on a ship. He's got a pencil. And he deciphers the whale noises as he hears them. You know, he'll hear like... He's like, oh, okay. Oh, he's lonely. No, you're lonely. Well, stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout outs to all of our friends who have served in the military and let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend og who spent time in the military and of course we know what a giver he is even when he pretends like he's being uh, mr surly navy federal offers member only exclusive rates discounts and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals visit navyfederal.org celebrate and you'll see all their military appreciation month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. 